0: Thank you, Dan and Choir and Instrumentalists for beautiful music today. I bet you might have been, but those of us in the know were not, surprised by our children's answers. They weren't prepped. They didn't know what I was going to ask. And we asked them, if you could wish for one thing, what would you wish for? And from the children in the educational programs at First Baptist Church, we got, I wish I would have better biblical knowledge I wish everyone would know Jesus as Lord. I wish that I had wisdom, and I wish there were more houses of God or more churches. There certainly would have been nothing wrong if their answers had been a puppy or a bracelet or new tennis shoes. Those would have been very honest, childlike answers, but I'm telling you, we get them ready, and they know. I've often said on other occasions and never I believe on a Sunday morning, I can't imagine having children and living within 30 miles of this place. And all this going on for children from Bible study in the mornings and vacation Bible school and camps and choirs and mission activities and not having my children here where unprepped, they gave absolutely outstanding answers. They already knew the story. In fact, I dare say uh, for when they get older, Fourth grade and above, if if I ask who can turn to the book of Obadiah the fastest, they will surpass you. They can turn to Obadiah in eight seconds. That's what we train them to do. So good job to our children's staff. And if you're a parent, it is working. And I I hope you see that we partner with you to shape your children's uh, core values, that they will know, they will know, uh, both in their head and in their heart, the stories of faith that will guide them for the entirety of their lifetime. Today, we conclude our sermon series from uh, Samuel. Uh, hold off on the amens, but we are coming to a conclusion here. And we're, we're gonna finish it in 1 Kings, and that may seem odd to you to conclude a series on Samuel, First and 2 Samuel, by ending in Kings. But we really need to transition from David to the next king. I didn't want to leave the story hanging for you. And so now we're going to take one step beyond uh, as we uh, come to find the replacement for David. Well, I don't know if your answers would be as good as the children's. I know mine probably wouldn't. But what would you ask for? God gives you one wish. What do you want? If you look at the various surveys, as I did online this week, the number one answer is the old proverbial, I would ask for a thousand more wishes or for infinite wishes. Well, I'm going to call that out of bounds. That's cheating the system. No, if you couldn't wish for more wishes, what would you wish for? Angel Van Otta says, pretty good one. My only wish ever is that my children grow to be very old after living full and happy lives. I wish my children have long and happy lives. That's that's a mother's wish, isn't it? Another lover, a responder by the name of Theseus, says, to be loved back by the one person that I have loved ever since forever. To be loved back by the one person that I have loved ever since forever. Angie Ashburn says, if I can make one wish, it would be a, a... Two-week trip to Vegas with some spending money. Now, she thinks small, doesn't she? A two-week trip to Vegas with spending money. You can have anything. Mandy E. says, I was simply asked. Now, some of you may understand this. I was simply asked for a day of peace and quiet to rest and catch up on much-needed sleep. God gives you anything, you want a day in the bed. Blow it on sleep, not me, but that's what Mandy F. wanted Amory Rice, a fourth-grade teacher, encouraged her students to enter the Tulsa World's Essay Contest that was asking the question, "If I had one wish, dot dot dot. If I had one wish, dot dot dot." The winner was Kenzie McMillan, a nine-year-old fourth grader from Brassfield Elementary in Bixby. Well, let me read you just a bit of of the fourth grader's essay. This is what Kenzie said. If I had one wish, I wish I could help people be happy. I would help people be happy by making music. Bands would play, people would dance, music would play in everyone's house, people would sing happy songs and make hearts warm up. I would help people by laughing. There would be a lot of ha-ha-has and he he hees, and it wouldn't even be Christmas, she writes. People joke around a lot in happy ways. I would help people be happy by smiling. Bright red lips would grin from ear to ear. When one person smiles, another smiles back. I would help people be happy by sharing. Well, Kenzie won a, a trip to Branson, Missouri for herself and all of her classmates by that award winning essay on If I Had. One wish, dot, dot, dot. This was a hypothetical question at the beginning of my sermon. It was a hypothetical question for Kinsey. But for Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3, the question was real. Because the the guy asking the question, God, could really deliver whatever it was that Solomon might wish for. There was no clear heir to the throne of David. Some people were certain that Israel would never be the same. David, her king, her shepherd boy, her giant slaying, her Saul evading, was old and feeble. He was in bed at the beginning of this story. They keep putting blankets, and the blankets won't keep him warm. A new young wife doesn't keep him warm. Nothing is working with David. He is on the way out. He had been such an effective ruler. He had made Jerusalem the capital. He had had the plans and all the materials for the building of the temple. He routed the Philistines on the right hand and on the left hand. Never before had ancient Israel seen her boundaries expand, her treasuries rise, as they did under the leadership of the man after God's own heart, King David. How do you... you, How do you follow David? Not only had he captured the land, he had also captured the heart of Israel. The shepherd boy, the musician, the songwriter, the warrior, so many images of David, the one after God's own heart. The question begins earlier in our Samuel study all the way back in 2 Samuel chapter 9 through chapter 20. Who is going to possibly step into David's shoes. David, during his reign, has subdued all the natural enemies, Moab, Edom, Ammon, Syria, Philistia, expanded the borders, lifted up the treasuries. In fact, God had promised David that his kingdom would continue forever. The nation needs a new king. David's physical health is waning. The great fighter, the politician, the lover, now his circulation isn't even sufficient enough to keep himself warm. Who will this person be? Now, Israel has no clear ascension system. Adonijah is David's oldest surviving son. Well, let's run through the sun for a minute. Adonijah is David's oldest living son. You remember Absalom last week? He's a third-born son. He died in this revolt because he was trying to take over the throne before David, his daddy, was dead. Well, not before he killed the first-born son, Amnon. You remember that? So Amnon's gone and Absalom's gone. There's a, a second-born son, uh, Caleb, that many people don't know about, 2 Samuel 3, 3, his birth is mentioned and he disappears. I assume he is dead as well. And so it all comes down, it seems reasonable that Adonijah, the oldest remaining son, would now be the king. Well, at least it seemed reasonable to Adonijah that he was going to be king. What kind of man is Adonijah? Well, he's just like his brother Absalom. He can't even wait for his father to die. Turn back to 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. He's seeking the power before daddy is dead. 1 Kings 1, 5 and 6. Now Adonijah, whose mother was Haggis, put himself forward and said, Hey, you're looking for a king? I'll be king. So he got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. His father had never interfered with him by asking, why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome, just like who? Absalom. He was born next to Absalom. Now, the picture of Adonijah is clear. He's handsome. He's aggressive. He looks like a king. He's the eldest remaining son. He's a self-possessed person. Doesn't care what his daddy thinks. Now, David was a lot of good things. But David was not a good disciplinarian. As a dad. But think about it. Did Saul seek the throne of Israel, the first king? No. He was out looking for his father's donkeys, wasn't he? When the prophet tapped him on the shoulder and said, Come over here, men, I'm gonna anoint you as king. You remember that? He didn't wanna be king, he was hiding behind the luggage rack when they made him king. Did David seek the kingdom? The second king, no. God sent Samuel to the sons of Jesse to anoint the new king. David didn't even show up, right? He had been assigned to be out shepherding the sheep. Jesse, don't you have any other boys? Well, there's one. He's young. Go get him. The Spirit of God says yes. You see the difference? Saul was not seeking the throne. David was not seeking the throne, but Adonijah says, hey, 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 I'll do that. Sometimes I've discovered in life the worst person for the job is the one who wants it the most. Sometimes the worst person for the job is the one who wants it the most. Sometimes the best person for the job is the one who says, i got to think about that before I commit to that. not really had that in my plans, you see. Adonijah says, Hey, I'll, I'll be king. He takes, notice, chariots and horses, gets 50 of them, they run ahead of him. He's acting like a king before a coronation. You see, he's showing his arrogance by running for office. When you get to verse 7, the list of conspirators of the coup is impressive. I'll have to give Adonijah that. He has Joab. Who's Joab? That's David's general, the guy who called all the shots, even with David on the throne. And now, Joab, been demoted by David, says, I'll go with Adonijah. David's old in the bed, dying. I'll go with a new regime. Abiathar is in that list. The priest, the sole survivor of Saul's massacre of the house of Eli. So we've got Joab and Abiathar. We've got the chief military. We've got the chief of the priest. We have crackerjack cadets in hand. Adonijah's supporters went to celebrate. And they threw a party because Adonijah was surely going to be king because David was nearly dead. But wait a minute. While Adonijah is throwing his coronation feast, one he planned for himself, Nathan the prophet, prophet's a little different than a priest, a little more edgy, reminds Bathsheba, you remember her, the beautiful woman that David saw bathing. Her first child had died, but not Solomon. Didn't David promise you that Solomon would be the next on the throne? Look at verse 13 of chapter 1. Did you not, O my Lord, my king, swear to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly, your son Solomon shall reign after me, and he shall sit on the throne? Then why, David, is Adonijah claiming to be king? Well, Nathan planned it out while Bathsheba was asking the question. He was going to barge in the room and says, Hey, have you ever heard what Adonijah's done? Doesn't Solomon, isn't he the next one? Why Why isn't he on the throne? Well, now, the, the promise that Solomon would be the next king is not recorded anywhere in Scripture, but apparently it's true because David affirms that it's so. So David says, Go get Zadok the priest and have him anoint Solomon as the next king just as Samuel had anointed Saul and David. Well, they began to shout, Long live, live king, king Solomon. Look at verse 40 of chapter 1. There was such an uproar. The earth seemed to split with the sound of the people. They began to make noise. So Adonijah out here having his own self-made coronation feast. And over here we have... Solomon, now anointed by Zadok to be the next king, the whole city starts shouting. It makes an Aggie football game seem like a Sunday afternoon picnic. I mean, the earth is shaking in the ground. The people are loud. And Joab, over there with Adonijah, the general says, and Adonijah says, what's going on back in the city? Why is the ground quaking and the people shouting? And all of a sudden, a character by the name of Jonathan runs. He's a messenger for the other camp. He says, man, I hope you got some good news for us. He says, no, I don't. Solomon is the new king. All of a sudden, nobody's interested in the party anymore. Skip the dessert. Get out of here. Here comes the army, right? It's over. And poor Adonijah runs and holds the horns of the altar trying to find mercy for himself, mercy that doesn't come, you see. So in chapter 2, verse 46, we read at the end, thus the kingdom was established in the hands of Solomon. Thus the kingdom was established in the hands of Solomon. Chapter 3, verse 5, we begin. And God said, here it is, ask what you wish me to give you. Here's a young man, a mere shadow of his father, a large nation overflowing with people, expectations pushing from the left and the right, above and below, and, well, it's it's a new regime. And what do you ask for? He could have asked for more riches for the treasury. Can't you solve most things with money? They thought that then. We think that now. He could have asked for more for the treasury he could have asked for a long reign let me be king longer than my daddy he could have asked for the lives of his enemies that's the kind of things the king would normally ask for the downfall of my enemies more treasure in the treasury a long reign, but he doesn't ask for any of those things. It's in a dream, and God has given the dream, and he says, what do you long for? Look at three seven. And now, O Lord, thou hast made thy servant in the place of my Father, yet I am but a child. I do not how to go out or how to, how to come in. And what he asks for in verse nine, an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil, For who is able to judge so great a people? You can translate it various ways. He asked for a receptive heart. He asked for a hearing heart. My, My favorite is a listening heart. Solomon, when God says in a dream, I will give you anything you need for your reign and your rule, just name it, Solomon says, Give me wisdom. Give me a listening heart. Thou discern right from wrong, good from evil. A receptive heart. By heart, to the Hebrews, he means his mind. Make me attentive. Make me receptive. Make me understanding. Give me discernment. Give me wisdom. Well, the writers today... James Nesbitt and others say, have we ever had more information at our fingertips than we do today? No. I mean, if you can get on a computer, some of it's true, some of it's false. But the reality is, we have access to massive libraries without ever leaving our office or our bedroom. We have no lack of information. There's a lot of things you can Google. You'll hit, what, 10 million hits in about five seconds. The information is there. We're not lacking information. What we're lacking is the wisdom of the ancients. We have all the information we need, but information is no good if we do not have a discerning heart An intuitive mind, the wisdom by which we can make good choices with the overflow of information. Psychology Today says contemporary people need and want to base their worldview and social and political structures and organization on the arts, on the forgotten wisdom of the ancient peoples. The forgotten wisdom of the ancient peoples. Wisdom how to make good decisions, how to influence folks, how to make everything work out without the shedding of blood. There was a wise old gentleman, he retired, and he made the mistake of purchasing a home right next to the junior high school. It was the summertime, school wasn't in, and for the first few weeks he had a wonderful retirement and then school started and there were three young boys who walked down the street and they took the metal trash can lids and they made them percussion instruments and all the way down the street you could hear them from the beginning to end and they they just had this percussion band making all the noise and well the next day they started up and the old man went out. He didn't do what you think he would do. He didn't stop them. He said, you kids are a lot of fun. He said, when I was your age, I expressed my exuberance like that. I so enjoy what you're doing. Would you do me a favor? Would you do this every day? And I'll pay you a dollar to each one of the three every day that I hear you banging the trash can lids. I would really, really like that. And they were so happy, and they kept banging those trash can lids. And a few days went by, and he paid them, and he came out and said, guys, there's a recession on I'm going to have to lower this thing to 50 cents. I hope you can still keep banging the trash can, Liz, but all I can pay you now is 50 cents. Is that okay? And, well, they were displeased, but they decided, yeah, yeah, 50 cents is still still worth it. And so he let them bang for a few days, and he paid them off, and he came out and said, guys, my Social Security check's late. I don't know what I'm going to do. It's going to be a quarter now. All I can pay you to bang these trash can lids every day is a quarter. And the leader of the band said, you can forget that. If you think we're going to bang these trash can lids for a a lousy quarter, you can forget it. We're done. We're not going to do that anymore. The old man enjoyed serenity the rest of his days. He could have shouted. He could have yelled. He could have not known their hearts. Discernment, listening, solving the problems with grace. I've noticed something. Have you noticed this? The world comes to God's people with their hurts. They just do. Because you have a core and an anchor. You have the lordship of Christ at your center. And they don't have that. And their boat's out there tossing and turning. And your boat tosses and turns too. But they notice that yours has an anchor and theirs doesn't. And so when the winds begin to blow and the waves begin to move, they come to us, do they not, for wisdom. Wisdom. God says to Solomon, I'm so pleased with you. You could have asked for riches and you did not. You could have asked for honor and you did not. I will give you your wisdom and I will give you riches and honor as well. Just after he asked, the next story is one he asked to exercise his wisdom. Two harlots are hollering, that's my baby, no, that's my baby. And one of them pleads the case before the king and says, well, you know, during the night we both had a child. We live in the same house, and her baby died, and she switched babies on me. And the other one said, no, that's my child's birthmark. And they're arguing, that's my boy, no, that's my boy, that's my boy. Oh, and Solomon says, well, just bring the the kid here. And they lay the kid down, and I can see him now. He takes out his sword, and he kind of acts like he's doing a dotted line. And he says, I don't know to whom the baby belongs. I'll just cut it in half and each give you a side. He draws the sword back, and one lady shouts out, no, 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 no. Give her the baby. It's over. Give her the baby. The other lady says, no, fair is fair. Cut that baby in two. And Solomon says, the lady who didn't want the child harmed is the mother to whom the child belongs. Give her the baby. God gave Solomon this infinite wisdom so that God says there was not anyone like him before and not anyone like him after. Wisdom. The old man got on a bus February the 14th, carrying a dozen big red roses. He sat beside a young man. The man looked at those roses and said, man, somebody's going to get a beautiful Valentine's Day gift. Yes, the old man said, indeed. A few minutes went by, and the old man noticed his young companion still staring at his roses. And so the old man asked the kid, says, do you have a girlfriend? He said, I do. And I'm going to see her now, and I'm bringing her this. And he held up a Valentine's card. I'm going to see her now, and I'm bringing her this. And he held up a Valentine's card. Well, about 10 minutes of silence, riding the bus along, the old man arose to get off the bus, stepped out in the center aisle, and as he did, he reached back and handed the, the 12 red roses to the young man and said, I think my wife would want you to have these. I'm going to tell her I gave them to you. I think my wife would want you to have these. I'm going to explain to her that I gave them to you. He left the bus quickly. The bus pulled away. The young man turned behind to watch the old man enter a cemetery that February 14th, wisdom, to know the hearts and minds of people, to make the best decision not for you, but the best decision for all, to discern people's hurts and their joys, their problems, their complications, to all you can to treat people as God with infinite wisdom would treat them wish for one thing today let's join Solomon and wish for wisdom let's pray oh God give us wise and discerning hearts we set our sights too low sometimes a day's sleep or a trip to Vegas Help us to be wise. Help us to have listening hearts. That we have those divine appointments tomorrow morning at the bank or at the hospital, at the schoolhouse, the retail store. When someone comes in with troubled waters, that we would have a calm, listening, caring, God-gifted heart to be your ears, your eyes, your spokesperson. Father, that we could listen and respond in wisdom. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.